Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 75. This cast as always, is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com and GatheringMagic.com, your number one place to buy, sell, and trade Magic the Gathering cards. With a sweet 25% buyless bonus and free shipping on orders over $100, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my co-casters, Ed Wynn, and Jim Casali, but we also have two very special guests on the cast this week. The Quiet Speculation guys were nice enough to stop by. So, of course, if you want to say hi, Chaz. What's up, folks? Hey, uh, episode 75. Congrats, congrats. It's like a mini uh, milestone right there. Well, it's plus one because we're on 76. And speaking of plus one, it oh. wouldn't be a QS cast without Tarkin. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Jeremy, so, yeah. thanks for having us on again. Yeah, you guys are always striving for awesome finance content, and you guys also host a pretty sweet podcast as well, though Chaz is on, it seems like every podcast at this point across all the finance world worlds. Um, and speaking of being all over the world, I was an eternal weekend because uh, Ed decided to not go and just leave me stranded high and dry. And we had a lot of people come up and say, thanks for the cast. And someone recognized me by my voice, which I thought was a little weird since we have video. But uh, I just started speaking to one of the vendors and he's like, hey, are you on Cartel? I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, so for everyone who said hi at Eternal Weekend, uh, we really appreciate it. For those who are not able to make it to Eternal Weekend, as usual, you guys finally sent us questions to answer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please keep it up. And we have our first question about Eternal Weekend. Uh, this is for everybody. He wants to know if events like Eternal Weekend actually drive the second market. For example, he expected to see an increase in the demand for foil chart the course this weekend. But beyond that, do you all not put much weight on the results of Eternal format events unless you are actually vending? I've heard that Eternal events see old expensive cardboard change hands aggressively. When it comes to market movement, it seems like the results in standard and modern are more meaningful. So he wants to know if events for legacy and vintage, and in this case, the biggest event of the year, do those drive prices at all if you're not vending? Um, and is there anything you want to talk about, especially when it comes to the reserve list, Chaz, on how you feel about these type of events? Why does my name come up with that? <laughs> my because you went Tarkin. <laughs> my plus yeah, one here guys... is definitely much more versed than that. Um, I think when it comes to these eternal formats, uh, specifically legacy and vintage now, if there's something like new that we haven't seen the, before, you know, chart the course was, was mentioned, then I, I would think maybe there's a higher chance that, that prices on those cards will start to increase because it's new, because people want to get their hands on it before, you know, prices skyrocket. But um, I, I haven't remembered um, something spiking specifically from Eternal Weekend, although my memory is a little hazy. So, Ed? In my, in my past, like, I've been to Eternal Weekend uh, two years now, I think. And, like, from more or less what I noticed, and it seems to be – a trend every year is that there's just more and more floor grinders, a lot of big name vendors who don't have booths are there. So you kind of have this like mini economy. You have a lot of people who come out for each one weekend who are legacy or vintage enthusiasts. Um, it's going to be like your best place to exchange like a set of summer. It's going to be the best place to pick up like an alpha Lotus. Uh, but in terms of like prices actually changing, there's probably more alpha Lotuses exchanged this weekend than probably like the past six months or so. I, I mean, that's probably a hy hyperbole. It's probably not that egregious. But the people there, they generally have very, very specific wants. People probably want to like, be pimping out their decks. A, a lot of hard stuff to find is available there. But in terms for normal people like us, there's not really any movement on Alpha Loses or like the Beta Duels any summer. Um, so I, I would take kind of the eternal results with a grain of salt. Um I, I think it's it's more relevant for legacy because, um, <laughs> Jeremy, you're the worst. Uh, oh god, I lost my train of thought. Help, Tarkin, <laughs> as the reserveless guy, 
what are your thoughts on eternal weekend and how it affects prices? Um, to, to be honest, I don't even, I, I didn't even know there was an eternal weekend until about two. I mean, I knew there was the event, but I didn't know when it was until like two weeks ago. Um, that's how, to be honest, how kind of irrelevant I think it is in the face of the marketplace. I think it's, uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's kind of a wizard's, it's kind of a gift to the, that community, but I, I really don't think it influences prices in any meaningful way that the average Magic player will will notice or even, frankly, care about. I mean, you know, like we've mentioned, the legacy, yeah, maybe a little bit, but unless something new from a newer set, there's some kind of new tech, you know, comes through, a lot of the decks are established in those formats. Um, particularly in Vintage, there's not, like, a ton of innovation. Uh, so, I mean, the only, the only meaningful changes might be for, like, old school cards when... You know, there's there's so few of them on the market, and so people want to buy them for Eternal Weekend, and so you see some price fluctuations a couple of weeks before simply because of the limited supply. Um, actually, the thing that I'm most interested in, and maybe, Ed, you can speak to this, is like, is there a sell-off after Eternal Weekend? Like, once players have, once those guys have played, they're like, all right, I don't want to play with these old school cards anymore, and they sell their cards, or is it, you know, like, usually most Eternal people that play Eternal Format or uh, Vintage Legacy, like, they just keep their cards. So that's the only question I have. But as far as, like, prices going up and lots of movement, I I don't really think it's that impactful. Uh, back to my original thought. I think the Legacy meta is kind of more set. I think the top eight doesn't really deviate from that. Like, obviously, Delver's very good. Death and Taxes is a real thing. Um but like that's that's the type of like tournament data that actually is meaningful to the secondary market. But in terms of vintage, like it's no secret that like Mishra's Workshop is just like a completely busted Magic card. Um, they are get hard. They are getting harder and harder to find. I think usually you'll probably have to be paying like just short of a thousand um, for one now. Uh, it's like it's one of those cards that like slowly creeps up. And I imagine over the course of a year, as people like sell off their vintage cards or whatever. Like the price will probably dip, and then as we get close to Eternal Weekend again, it'll kind of it'll just go back up. Um, it's just it's just Eternal Weekend is one of those things where unless you're actually like a vintage enthusiast or you actually care about uh, vintage or legacy actively, it's not one of those things that's really in the forefront of people's mind. Um, like they they have they have Eternal uh, Weekend in Europe that was back in April, and basically no one knew about that unless you were actually in Europe where it's a much bigger deal over there. Um, so I think, I think that kind of sums up my thoughts. Like eternal weekend is kind of one of those very enclosed, isolated economies. Um, so you really have to take a grain of salt, like tournament results or any sort of, uh, any, any sort of data you can gather from the weekend itself. Jim, any thoughts on eternal weekend? Um, I'm not like super into pretty much anything on the reserve list. Like I just own a couple of EDH cards that I like. And a lot of the stuff is so expensive at this point that, like, I'm not sure that there's meaningful changes that can happen anymore to a lot of it. Like, the, the big, big, big things people will notice. Like, you know, when Underground Sea buy list prices went up a couple of months ago, you know, everyone noticed that everyone was talking about it. I haven't heard anyone say anything about Eternal Weekend as far as, like, prices are concerned. I don't think that, like, the results of that tournament is going to change what people are playing you're so invested in the deck, the one deck that you own, or the two decks that you own, that switching decks is just pretty much impossible. Um, like financially, it's just it's just too much money to do that. So there's not as much change in the price of cards because there's no incentive to do that. Like right? if you're playing elves or whatever, you're not going to switch to a blue deck, you know, because a blue deck did well in the top eight or, or something like that. Because you can't like your buyers are no good in that deck and like all of your elves and stuff don't do anything. Like there's not as much overlap. Whereas like in standard, a lot of times you can buy a couple places to mythic rares and you're on your way to another deck. And you know, those decks are a couple hundred dollars to build completely. Whereas like mid-age and legacy decks are a couple thousand dollars to build. So you really, people don't just have the opportunity to switch as often. So like the tournament results just don't matter as much. Except, if there's something really new, like people bought out those pirates cards without even seeing a deck list because they thought it was something new. Uh, to emphasize all the points made, I mean, I've seen more content covering the fact that this like blue green merfolk list 
top eighted the last two SCG opens more than I've even seen any of any any content on Eternal Weekend. So I think that kind of just kind of wraps it all up right there. Yeah, I, mean, I had to like fish to go and find the top eight of the Eter of Eternal Weekend. Like it wasn't actually posted on a on a major you know news outlet. It was like posted on like some random random thing. I'm not sure if that pun was on purpose, but you you're you're making it so that Jeremy can't make it later in the cast. Yeah, the one only one of the things I wanted to note was David Adams and Channel Fireball had super high bias on legacy playables. Uh, people were talking on various forums that the reason why Channel was buying LEDs at like one ten and drops at like one sixty, I think, was because they're going to be vending all these events next year for, and they need the stock for legacy. Um. David Adams was buying like all the old school stuff, like just nonstop the entire time. And a lot of people were buying a bunch of the cards too. So there's, there's a, there were over a hundred people that showed up for the old school uh, tournament on Thursday. Uh, so there's actual demand there. And the interesting thing in my opinion is what do we do when these guys start selling out and then all these reserveless cards start going down a bunch. I mean, you look at some of the people on the high end page selling like over a hundred city of traders that one person has like that severely affects um, where those prices are going to land. Uh, and you won't have to sell your soul anymore necessarily to buy a city of traders, but it, you really need to watch out for some of these uh, prices. Um, another thing I noticed, which leads into the next question is high end foils were super low. Uh, I paid under 400 for a foil or shot port, like 225 for a foil judge survival. Uh, it was really good numbers as a lot of people were looking to dump probably because they wanted more cash. Um, but we had a question uh, from a viewer about um, uh, foils and just basically um, how to avoid missing them. Because I know all of us go through collections. Jim, maybe not as much now, but you certainly did it back in the day a bunch uh, before Florida started going underwater. Uh, this question says, any life hacks for collection sorting that cut down on sorting time or help to avoid missing valuable cards the sorter isn't familiar with? Um, oh, and there's a foil question too. I wanted to ask about your experience with online vendors and foils. Magic players are notoriously picky about foils, and I found many players who like foils will only use near mint foils for their decks. I've been frustrated with recent purchases with online vendors for speculation purchases. Okay, well, why are you not buying from us? Uh, I had multiple orders arrive and the foils clearly be not near mint and had to seek full refunds and returns because moving LP or MP foils is much more difficult. This issue is more, most relevant on TCG player, but I've seen it with multiple large sellers as well. My question is, do you have trusted online vendors that you will buy near mint foils from? If so, what are they? So we'll sort of answer both of both of these questions at once life hacks on sorting collections that cut down on time and any trusted vendors that you buy near mint foils off of because i think all of us have bought foils for various decks ed uh regarding the first question in terms of uh cutting down sort time it's just one of those things you have to bite the bullet on either um either work with someone hire someone or be good at yourself, be like be better at like picking through bulk, like be take tips from Doug or whatever. Um like personally we the bulk we have it kinda of sits there and accumulates mainly because the best guy we have to pick bulk, he's like pretty good at doing everything else. So he's like there pulling orders, pulling cards online. Um all that together it makes it kinda of hard to just take him away and just have him sit there and pull bulk. Um so I don't really have a good advice. Again, your best bet is to find someone who's better at it than you are, or like again, be good at it for your, yourself. Um, in terms of foils, uh, look at the question again. Um, it's one of those tricky ones. Grading foils is kind of hard. Um, personally, like I've kind of gone through hoops to actively not buy foils. Uh, for a while, we were buying foils, and then we kind of ran the same problems you did. People were complaining, like, oh, this foil that got put on is near mint. Like, there's a scratch on the front, which technically, by TCG player standards, does not qualify it from not being near mint. But I can see where people would get the idea that, oh, there's a scratch on the front. On the foiling process, it would not be near mint. Um, so for that reason, we went from buying foils to telling my guys to pay the same price on foils as normal cards, and we continue to get them 
And now I'm more or less just telling people to stop buying foils. They're very, very hard to move. They're painted great. It's not efficient to uh, list them or put them away. Um, so I'm not the best person to ask about foils. For the most part, the only foil cards I really buy are Japanese foils and masterpieces. Um, in terms of buying foils for speculation purposes, I would I would heavily recommend against it. Um, mainly because you have to deal with a twofold problem of, as you mentioned, like once you get in, it's probably going to be very, very hard for you to move them, especially if there's condition issues. And two, if you're looking, buying them for speculation purposes and you're hoping the price goes up, you're going to be hard pressed to find people who want to play, who want to pay an inflated, inflated price on the card itself and then pay a higher multiplier on foils on top of that. Chaz? Um, I can't really offer any uh, life hacks for sorting bulk. I mean, I haven't done it in a very long time. Uh, but mostly for me, um, it, it, it was more about sorting the bulk efficiently than missing like a $10 common or uncommon in you know thousands of cards. I mean, you're just going to have to take the hit on that and kind of calculate if it's worth your time. So unless you're working with... Uh, you know, fellow players that actually, you know, know a little bit about uh, the cars that they're looking through. Um, like I said, I mean, for me, it wasn't really worth my time to just, like, I'd rather miss a $5, you know, or even a $10 uncommon in, in hours of sorting than to just take an additional time to, you know, gloss over everything all over again. So that's, that's on that front. In terms of foils, um... I like ABU games only because um, on a it's actually kind of weird on the not on the near mint foils they don't usually post pictures of the cards uh, but normally they're fine it really all depends on the card that you're buying a lot of the foils that I've bought over the last year depending on if they were a um, from a set that was fairly old uh, the, the one that pops into my brain immediately was uh, Grim Poppet for Shadowmore. I bought a ton of them, uh, uh, not a ton of them, but like two play sets of them. And one place that came in near mint, quote unquote, that were cloudy AF. Um, <laughs> and another that came in pretty pristine. So um, mostly I'll just, I will trust Star City Games, ABU, uh, eBay actually. Uh, that you can actually, you know, see the tangible card. If it's just like a stock photo, I wouldn't bother. Um, and uh, Card Kingdom. Outside of the U.S., the only really one I've ever bought, in, I've ever bought foils from uh, was Magic Madhouse, I think it's called. Yeah, they're a great company. So, yeah, they're really good. They're, I've never had an issue with foils with them. So, yeah, other than that... Um, it's really about seeing the physical card itself. So if you can't really see the physical card, I would just leave it alone. But Star City, on that front, they don't show the, the pictures, but they're normally really good. Tarkin? All right, so I'm going to shamelessly pro plug our product here. Uh, you can always use uh, the QS Ion Scanner to uh, scan your bulk and get uh, your pricing uh, if you really need to. But if you don't have access to that, uh, then... A couple tricks that I've kind of learned. Um, I, I flip the cards over, uh, so I the set symbol is to the some of the left in my hand, so that I can go through really fast in my hand. I can pull out all the gold symbol cards. Um, that's faster than trying to pick through a box with the name where you you can't necessarily see it. If you have it in your hand and you're just skimming through and you're quickly flying through them in your hand and you just drop out the the gold and uh, and mythics, the rares and mythics, uh, that cuts a little bit of time. And then also, if you're gonna like have to alphabetize or or do any kind of sorting like that, I typically, a lot of people I see will like have 50 piles of cards that they're trying to go by addition, and it's crazy. Like I usually break things down into like you know pre-RTR, post-RTR, and then like I break things down into like piles and chunks. That way, you're only dealing with like five to eight piles that you have to that you can quickly go through, as opposed to like a million different piles. It just takes hours. Um, I mean, outside of that, like you know, all the recommendations or everything that everybody said, you know, hire someone if you can, or just, I mean, sorting sucks. That's the bottom line. And it's, it's a pain, but you know, it, it, you can, you just have to deal with it. And honestly, sometimes sorting is, I find actually kind of relaxing. If you're watching 
TV or you're chilling out, it can be kind of like a Zen thing, believe it or not. Um, so it doesn't always have to be bad. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of something you have to deal with. Uh, foils, uh, it, it, like was mentioned, ABU, Card Kingdom, uh, Star City is probably my number one. If you get a near mint Star City foil, you're usually fine. Um, I mean, it used to be you could get an SP foil from Star City and be okay, but that's kind of changed these days. But yeah, I mean, Star City definitely you can trust. I like the eBay idea. If you can see the images, that's a good idea. Um, but yeah, I've also noticed that as far as buy listing foils, um, vendors seem to have gotten a lot, they're, they're a lot pickier these days than they used to be, um, especially ABU. ABU used to be, um, they used to probably be the most flexible of all the, the vendors with, with buy listing. And now on anything that's old, all the old foils, basically most, most buyers and most vendors consider old foils to be in, almost impossible to find near mint. Like, you could, they, they think that any, any form of clouding, any scrat, anything is going to be, you know, is going to be you know, knocked down to LP or SP. So I found that buy listing foils are getting more difficult for the older ones. Um, so just, I guess, a note there. But yeah, I would say Star City, ABU, Card Kingdom, those are the big vendors that I trust. Yeah, buy listing yeah, foils foil really, really tough. Really tough. Yeah, yeah, it's gotten harder. Really it's it's, it's pretty brutal. I sent um I just sent an order. I mean, they're they're great guys over to, uh, over at Cape Fear Games. They're really good. I buy list them all the time. But you know, they were very candid and were like, "Hey, you know, a lot of these foils just for us are not near mint." And they were older ones. They said older foils are just typically we don't you know it's hard to find near mint old foils, um, which kind of speaks to if you do you know these days if you do find like really gem mint old foils like you know Ricade masks or, or from that era. Um, I, I actually think that foils can be good, good specs and good, good pickups. Um, but you just gotta be very, very, very careful and, and know what you're buying. Um, so yeah. Jim, Jim. So, uh, as far as like things that you can do to help yourself sort faster, um, if you're right-handed, what you said, what Tarkin said is definitely one of my go-to things is flip the cards over. You can see the, uh, the set symbol and you can pull out whatever you want so it's easier to find even if you want to also pull out uncommons or foils like it's just easier if you flip the cards over if you're left-handed though you probably want to keep them right side up because you'll be you'll be uh, passing the other way um, and then the thing that I, I you know I tell people all the time is get a sorting tray don't have piles on your table or on your floor or whatever just buy a tray it takes up less space it lets you keep more cards in the same area and it just makes it faster. Like you just pull them out and dump them in. Um, if you have someone that wants to help you sort, but isn't very good at picking the bulk itself, um, I would suggest just pulling out, like you go through it and pick out all the cards and then have them set sorted or alpha sorted or whatever. Um, you, it's, it's like a lot harder to mess that part up. Uh, the last thing is if you really just want to get like, the the high like if you're not worried about the nickels and the dimes you just want like the quarters and the 50 cent and the 75 cent cards um what i've been doing is basically going to dawn glare and just look up the set and look at like if if, if, if it's like in sets ordered i guess is like the best way to do this look at look at the cards that are listed on that website they usually only list things that are a dollar or more which makes it a lot easier when you're going through like m13 bulk what cards you have to pick up pick out like this this works only if you have like people that have like booster boxes worth of bulk like a bunch of like basically it's everything's like laid out it's like you know like 12 commons three uncommons and then a, a token and a basic land like they just took the rares out or whatever um that's like the easiest way to sort that kind of stuff uh as far as foils um like everyone said tcg or uh, star city is probably one of the better ones um, if you're looking for foils for your personal collection, I know this is not really necessarily part of the question, but I've found it a lot easier to get foils that are in near mint condition if they're newer. So if you pre-order a foil, obviously it's going to be near mint because it just came out of the booster wrapper. Um, if you order stuff on TCG Player from the most recent set, for the most part it'll come near mint. Um, obviously the older the card gets, the less likely it is to come in the condition that you want. Um, and then like the only other thing that I would say is that, uh, Japanese sellers are definitely much more picky about the conditions of the cards. So if you ordered it from like Haruya or something, um, you're almost, ex you're, you're almost guaranteed to get stuff in actual near mint condition. Um, at least in my experience, but 
other than that, everyone else pretty much covered all the bases. Shout out to the sorting tray. Definitely need that. I can't stand piles. Yeah, that was a good call. Yeah, I mean, I, it's like it's like one of those things that you like don't know that you don't like. I I started using it and I was like, this is stupid. I have to learn all like where to put all the cards and stuff. And then when you like get used to it, it's just like so much faster. It's like not worth doing it any other way. I don't really have anything to add on the foils. We do the same thing that uh, Kerwans does, where we pay the same on foils as non-foils, unless like we actually need them, and people still continue to sell to us all the time. Um, and then as far as like. Oh man, I use quite speculations tools a lot to like pick out all the non-bulk stuff. And then there's like certain people I trust to pick it for me, but normally it's just let's sort this all by set and alphabetize it and then like list it or or put it in the shop. So like, if you have like a hundred thousand like five to twenty-five cent cards and like enough five dollar rares that go in other decks, you'll sell a lot of like two dollar lore one uncommons and two dollar even tied uncommons that just like no one can find at their local shop and sometimes it's worth it if the orders are big enough uh it's basically yeah, just like I, churning yeah the thing is is uh, so chat i think what chaz is saying where like it's like ah, oh, you eat a ten dollar card i mean that for for small i was just throwing out an arbitrary number that yeah, I, I i wouldn't yeah, want yeah. to throw out a ten dollar card but no no, no, I was no just for sure an arbitrary number but it's to support what you're saying, like for the for the average collector or the average person that's just gonna go and they just happen to stumble on a collection and get it, that's not a big deal. But for people, for any listener, like for guys that are dealing in high volume, you're talking about a lot of missed money there. If you don't if you don't sort and you don't calculate, like if you're talking about hundred thousand or two hundred thousand plus cards, you want to sort that and you want to separate stuff because there's a lot. Of, that's those numbers add. I mean, this this whole game is. This whole finance game is 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 based around volume. So if you're doing that level of volume, you need to you need to sort correctly. You need to pick because you could potentially be losing out on a lot of money. But if you're just buying like you know your friend's collection, it's not a big deal. You know, yeah, you might miss ten bucks, but it's no big deal. Don't sweat the big stuff. Always buy it for less than what you're gonna sell it for, unless like you're screwing over a kid or something. But always be able to be able to make money on a collection. Like if you see something on Craigslist and it's like you're going to break even or like you're only going to make like 10 or $20 for like hours of work, like you can say no, something better will come along. And I know Ed echoes this sentiment all the time, um, but just don't, don't sweat it if like you have to think about it for too long. That's a more elegant way of what I was trying to say. But yeah, um, one last uh, thought on the foils too. They're, they're definitely not like a bad way to – wait. they're definitely – they can sell. The thing is, is that they remind, they're starting to become a lot like uh, the, the commander stuff that spikes. Like the card will spike. It, it always, obviously will cool off a little bit. No one wants to pay the inflated price until they pretty much have to. And the card's not, you know, it settles. Um, it, it's a lot like that. Like uh, I, I picked up some uh, pretty inexpensive um, radiant archangel foils back during the whole like, uh, you know, reserve list craze. I was like, let me just get these now. Um, one sold, and you know it's just been very intermittent. So a lot of the foils that I end up uh, trying to resell, um, it, it just takes a while. They they do end up selling eventually, but it, again, it's a lot like those commander cards that like increase. Um, it takes a while for them to sell at the, a, a new price or even close to uh, the new price. You usually have to underprice them quite a bit. Good point. Jim, do you want to get into our credit winner of the week? Sure. So our winner this week is Michael Perry. Thank you for having a name I could say without butchering it. Uh, and he asks, why does everyone always say not to open a brick and mortar store? Is there something that makes it extremely bad, or is it just because of the amount of work that it takes? No one has ever given a concrete reason, or at least one that I have heard. Keep up the good work. P.S. The cast could always use some more Jeremy puns. And uh, I do not agree with that last section. Keep um, it up. Nope, not happening. So I guess I'll start since I just read the question. Um, the the idea behind this is like opening a hobby shop is not easy. It's not it's not easy. It's expensive. It's not a very well. It's not a high paying job. Like this is not going to support you or your family on, on average. Like so many shops open 
and then close that. It's not a stable source of income uh, unless there's none in your area, like like literally none. Like if you have a, a, a medium-sized city, you know, or a college nearby or something, it's just not worth it. Like the amount of work that it takes to get everything off the ground and to make it successful at this point is just, it, it's too difficult. And the fact is, there's not really, it, Magic is not in this phase right now where it's booming, where there's more players being added to the player base. So you're just really fighting for the same piece of the pie that keeps getting smaller and smaller as more people enter the market. Eventually, there's just going to be only the biggest ones, the biggest stores surviving, and it's not worth wasting your time on that. It's, it's not a, it, I, in, in our opinion, I believe, it is not a very good long-term goal. Ed? I like I could have said that before. Uh, when I go to Iran, I think Jim was it. I just call him a lot of people who are looking to open a game store. And I um, would stop talking. Your internet is garbage. So, I am Robo Ed. Beep yeah. Beep boop. <laughs> Let's move on to Chaz. Hopefully, Ed will be able to restore whatever uh, tin tin wire is holding up his internet right now. Um, it's like any other business, right? It's what, it's what you put into it. Uh, I've been playing the game a long time. I've gone to plenty of, uh, game stores that have closed down and stores that are still around. I mean, years later, uh, there was one, there's one near me that's still pretty successful, uh, going back to New York, um, uh, battle battlegrounds games. Um, and it's not like a huge, it's not like one of the premier stores like Cool Stuff Inc. or anything like that. And they're going on five years, uh, I think maybe longer than that. Um, and again, it's it's a great place to play. Uh, the, the player base is obviously cultivated. You get greeted when you walk in. You can tell that the staff legitimately wants to be there. So it's really about uh, having the capital to start it up, uh, knowing that this isn't going to be, you know, you're not going to be, floating around on a yacht somewhere um but it, again it's all really what you put into it just like any other business and that's exactly how you have to treat it uh you don't want to you don't want to push it too far that all you view you know I, I actually talked about this with seth this um not too long ago and a, a conversation actually happened over the uh the insider discord where you know you don't want to look at all your customers like dollar signs uh, people can tell and, you know, you can immediately walk in and get the vibe of a place within a few minutes. And, you know, uh, you have to just be able to cultivate your player base. You have to, you know, be friendly and, and know everything that goes into, uh, you know, this market and what goes into running this type of game store. And if you don't, then you're, you're probably going to fail, just like any other place. If you're going to open up a restaurant and you don't know what you're doing, you're going to fail. If you, there's not any new restaurant opening up because there's a million restaurants out there. So obviously there's still pieces of the pie to go after. It's just, you know, you have to know your location. You have to know your, the player base. You have to cultivate a, a community and you have to do everything that goes into it a hundred percent or don't do it at all. Ed, you want to try on your potato one more time? All right. Testing. Is this better? All right. Go for it while you can. Uh, so I think my biggest qualm, it's something that I've kind of expressed before, is that most people go into a game store without having any business sense. And that's far, far more important than trying to turn your hobby into an actual business. Um, like I've mentioned this in the past few casts, uh, Kerwin's were in the process of opening up a second store in Poughkeepsie. And it's cost us far, far, far more than what we had originally anticipated. Um, and this, and and we have a pretty decent bankroll, I would say, to more or less facilitate opening up the store. Uh, just literally every single problems along the way. Like if we were, if we weren't as financially secure as as were, I guess I would say, it would have been a huge struggle. Uh, the store is still not open. Um, we have employees that we are now paying that are currently working, as it were, as store that's not open. Uh, we have other tasks that have to be done. Um, paying for construction, paying for 
Like literally everything, just like all the slot wall, all the glass, all the cases. Cases are delayed, so that's one of the biggest reasons why we haven't been able to open. All these things add up, and then you have, you have to consider that when we do open, what happens if someone walks in with a 10k collection? Well, you want to be able to buy it, so that's just more capital on top. Um, most businesses usually operate in the red for two and a half to three years on average. Um, and that's, we're talking like a normal business. We're talking like a place, like a restaurant where you have, um, other than labor, you have relatively low cost. Your overhead isn't that high. Cost of goods is relatively nothing. And you have extremely high margins. And again, most restaurants operate in the red for two to three years, depending on uh, location, how successful they are, et cetera. Um, and now we're talking about game store, which is a very, very narrow industry. It's very, very hard to get into. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of competition. Um, most cities are far, far oversaturated with, uh, game stores, Harvey stores, etc. And just trying to find your, your place in it is just so hard to start up from scratch. Um, so like if you really are looking to start it, I would recommend you have a very, very clear uh, business plan going in you have to expect failure along the way um sometimes it'll be very small sometimes it'll be um i don't know your your cases aren't coming in like i would say that's a relatively small problem right then you start having to deal with big problems like oh an employee quit well who's gonna run the shop for the next like two weeks until you hire an employee because you don't want to like labor is such a high cost you don't want to be hiring excessive amounts of people that's a bigger problem um what happens if Crystal Commerce just takes a dump and goes down for like half the month or you get billed twice on all your fees, right? These, these are very real problems that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And for me, it feels like I literally do nothing but put out fires while trying to plan stuff like for the rest of the year. Um, it's not an easy business. Like I just, I just can't recommend getting into it. That's a lot of personal emotions that just came <laughs> out right there. But but they get to capitalize on all that dragons den, uh, all those dragons den people, right? Right. Because <laughs> they moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, For, we're uh, not gonna keep uh, we're not gonna keep this cast dragon along, so we might as well find out what Tarkin thinks. <laughs> oh man! All right. Um, yeah, all, all the points made, I think, hit the mark. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is that it's a capital intensive business. The overhead is high. The expected revenue can be very low. The margins are thin. That's that's the that's the most salient thing to remember. Um, people do it because they think it would be cool, and they don't really know what they're getting into. It's very very difficult. Uh, the the key thing to remember is that a, a, if you see a local store and you're like, oh, they're so successful, they they seem to be doing well. Bear in mind that a lot of those shops have owners that are just funneling money into them, and a lot of them are ho they're, they're hobbies for the owners. The owner likes to have it because it's a tax write-off for them, right? Like, you never know the situation with a game store that you see. I mean, just being a solo operator of a game store and having that be, you know, your solo income is very, very difficult. Um, I would recommend if you're going to start, if you want to start with magic, that you go online. I think you, I would say start build an online presence, build up some online sales, start selling online, and then think about moving into, into a store. Because if you have sort of a, if you have a, a revenue stream from online, then you can maybe look at, okay, let me see about building a local community with a brick and mortar. You can kind of consider that. But I would, I would stay away from just jumping into, into a brick and mortar right away. I mean, the, the guy, the, if, and if you're thinking like, oh, I want to be the next star city, you know, that, these guys like ABU and all like Card Kingdom Star City, these guys started a long time ago when you know there was much less competition in the marketplace. They were first to market with this industry. So, you know, it's it's not that it's impossible to do that, but it's very, very, very difficult and it's very capital intensive. So you just have to curb your expectations and have a solid plan. And start online. That's what I recommend. Or unless you got fifteen thousand dollars coming in from your Patreon every month, that should probably help. <laughs> or, the, or, or that yeah jeremy is that what you're getting from your uh from your yeah. cast patreon that, that, was, that should help right i swear to god <laughs> if one more regular mentions uh, that channel to me i will just like leave and never return <laughs> um can't come to florida i'm not gonna let you in yeah i mean like people are so it's all these high school and college students 
or people that don't have any marketable skills and failed in everything in life that are trying to open these shops. And they're like, oh, I, I stupidly spent $10,000 on magic cards instead of saving my whatever for a rainy day. And now that I've been put out on the street because I don't know how to work or I'm depressed or my girlfriend left me or whatever, I'm going to open up a shop and I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can. And then they realize very fast that you need six figures for a shop and they don't have a registered business and they don't know how to buy cards and they don't know how to grade cards and they don't know how to do anything right. And then they send us messages on Twitter or Facebook or a text and they say, hey, I'm running my shop wrong. Nobody's coming here, just like in my personal life. And I can't even deal with all these horrible things that the world has just thrust onto me by none of my own volition. And I look at these messages and I'm like, well, you've, you're just wasting my time. And then I take these messages and do comedy monologues with them on Tuesdays. Um, but yeah, man, like I, if like, there's so many people, especially in this area, because I'm one of the, for with one of the shops I work with, I'm like a hundred miles from anybody else, uh, either way. And, um, they 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 want to open up a shop and they try to compete against me and then they fail and then the next person takes over and they fail and then the next person takes over and they fail and it feels real good selling people inventory to open up their shop because they don't even know how to run it at a quote-unquote discounted rate which is basically like what i'd make after fees and then two months later i get all my inventory back for like half of what i paid while well, i already used that money to go and buy more stuff um, there's only so many internet grinders that actually know what they're doing, like Stu Summers or people like that, that like Doug too, uh, Doug is a pretty good example where he has very low living costs and like he grinds his butt off, but, uh, he will somehow thinks he'll make it. Uh, but at the same time, like people are predicting a recession, you know, next year in September, uh, that's what a lot of. I've talked to quite a few people about it and there is a point where magic cards will fall, will free fall. Like it may not happen next year, but it will happen at some point. And when that happens, all these neck beards who think they can be a shop are just going to get slammed harder than their door in their parents' basement when it comes to getting kicked out. Cause this is just, I, I, the, the business practices I have seen people try to employ when opening a shop, and trying to talk to me about it and every single thing they do wrong is just absolutely miserable to watch it's a train wreck over and over again and you look at people like ed and monty and all these other guys that are doing it correctly and you know they don't they're so busy working that they don't have time to humble brag on twitter about some stupid thing or uh uh what's it called or like talk about or like flash giant stacks of cash like that they're spending on collections. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just don't understand it, guys. Like that's my rant. Like just stop annoying me with your stupid request to open up Bob's neckbeard shop because the only thing I get out of that is more stand-up material. Well, so real quick though, I, and that was, uh, and that was some doom and gloom, Jeremy. But that, you, you, you tend to have a doom and gloom perspective with this stuff. But here's the thing, here's the thing though. Like... All, all this said, the reality is, is there is money in tabletop gaming. If there was not money in tabletop gaming, none of these, none of this would exist. Nobody would be doing any of this. So, I, like, for as difficult as it is to do all this, if you are savvy and you know what you're doing, like, I, the silver lining is this is an industry. It is a business. If you really, really know what you're doing and you have the capital, you can be successful. But typically, the people that try and do these things don't meet that criteria that's the main point here but like this is this is an industry it, it works if it didn't work nobody would be doing any of this so i just want to i just want to say that it's not impossible it's just that a lot of people don't know what they're doing i think that sums up your viewer question very well sir and we thank you for <laughs> submitting it um if anyone wants to submit questions, please do. We are getting a whopping amount of questions. Ed promised that he would uh, answer them all. He hasn't gotten around to it yet. So Ed, the onus is still on you to answer all the questions from this week. Um, 
But once again, and this is ranting again, if you have the audacity to say that you listen to this cast on Twitter, but not know how to leave a comment on gatheringmagic.com under cartel aristocrats, uh, where we say every week, please post there. Don't tweet and ask, hey, how can I win? I listen to the cast every week, but I don't know where to post. Rough. Yeah. I, yeah. It, the whole – your rant, actually, but it did bring up a, a great point about um, – I mean, no – like, your business practices, like, I've literally had – I've been in shops that are well-known in the area as well, and I'm sure uh, – I'm sure Ed will know some of them if I mention them, but – I mean, I've literally had shopkeepers look at me with a straight face and tell me that they don't mark down for condition. And I just look at them and I'm like, what? Like, I don't understand what you're talking. So you're you're trying to sell me a heavily played dual land, but you're charging me near mint prices? Like, I'm out of here. I'm sorry. So know exactly what you're doing, I think, is the kind of sum up everything here, is know exactly what you're doing before you plunge in yourself into – a really bad situation. That's just like in any business. And if you think you can do this and you don't have a solid business plan to lay out in front of me, like, come on, man. Like, don't don't waste everybody's times. We've we've had people contact the cast collectively on ways to improve their business. And from what I understood, it was fruitful since Ed is very good at his job. Uh, but you really you really need to work on everything if you're thinking of it, but if you're just using this cast to uh, make playing Magic a little cheaper, then we really appreciate you guys because you're not taking it too overboard. Ed, we have a live viewer question. Would you like to uh, help out with that? Sure. That means you read it. Oh, got it. Okay. I, this, was quite, this was a question from like two weeks ago. I promised I would, that person I would answer on the cast, and then I just like fell asleep last week, so... Um, I'm not sure if I got answered, but oh, we, we answered it last week without you. Oh, okay. Well, so if you just want to repeat the question in your own position on it, uh, question for the cast, I am wanting to transition from armchair speculating and bulk picker to selling on TCG player and Facebook and eventually wanting to open or buy out a storefront. How can I work on acquiring more cards at volume? What cards should I target? What is the most efficient way to ship cards and sealed boxes? Lastly, what do you think about GP tr uh, trading? Um, well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of one question. Uh, so step one, if you are, uh, like a gym type person, no offense, Jim, uh, Jim, Travis, whatever, uh, bull pickers, Jeez. selling on TC players, selling on Facebook, like that is, that's fine, right? Like there's, there's no knocking you there, but once you start getting to a point where you're looking at opening, uh, opening a storefront or even trying to increase the volume to a point where you have a lot of sales on TC player, Literally every penny will matter. I've mentioned this on past uh, um, cast before. Like we recently ordered like fifty thousand new envelopes. Uh, it brought our costs down from like five cents an envelope to like uh, one point four cents an envelope. Like those are types of numbers that matter, mainly because fifty thousand envelopes is not going to take us that long to go through, relatively speaking. But you have to start considering everything. Uh, we use an online program to prepay for postage that brings tracking down from, I think it's 267 to 261 for us. Stamps go from 51 cents to 46 cents. Like those are like literally all the numbers that you have to take into consideration. Um, mainly because as, uh, as others have said previously, like this is an industry of scale. Um, it's fine to pay for your hobby it's fine to pay for your hobby. Like, Oh, I'm just gonna, the cards I acquire through trading through speculating because they'll spike during a pro tour and being able to flip them to buying more standard decks or modern decks. That's fine. But once you kind of increase your volume, you start dealing with all kinds of problems. Like you probably need to invest in a label maker, which we've talked about in the past. You need to be buying things in bulk. Uh, we buy things through Uline. We receive like roughly a pallet of shipping supplies, uh, probably about two to three times a year. Um, so like, it's one of those things where if you really want to message me and I can, I can kind of help you, I can tell you like, uh, the suppliers we use, but again, like trying to make that jump, it's not, it's not easy. Uh, you really have to know what you're doing. You really need a, a concrete business plan. Um, if you want to do something like Grand Prix trading, 
that's fine. Make sure you have the capital to cover it. So that way, if a Grand Prix sucks for trading, that you're just not out like the flight plus hotel plus food plus whatever for the weekend and that you <clears throat> that you're not just putting all your bankroll hoping that a grand prix works out well for you all right well thanks for that answer ed we spent quite a bit of time on that last uh episode going over that since it was a lot of questions you guys ready for pick of the week this seems like a unanimous no, so of course, Ed, why don't you start off since you've been so prepared lately for everything? <laughs> uh, fatal Push. Buy Fatal Push. It's one of those cards where it's now October, so people are no longer getting FNM promos. FNM promos have just more or less like completely disappeared, uh, oddly enough. Um, and the non-foils are slowly creeping back up. The cheapest copies you can buy on TCG Player is seven and change plus ninety nine cent shipping. So you're looking at eight dollars. Wait, really? Yes. Oh, we have ours at six. I actually did not know that. Thank I will you, buy. Ed. I will buy all yours at six. Just ship yeah, them to me now. I actually did not know that. So this is good information to know. I will even take them in a plain white envelope. Um. Anyway, back calling the shop. Anyways, it's one of those things where people always need it. It's very clear that it's just such a ubiquitous card um, in every format. Um, there's just there's just continually demand for them. People always seem to be buying them and then selling them, and then more people will buy them. Um, and I and think the promo is good too, right? That's yes. a good. That's like people are speculating. I think getting the promo and holding on to it's a good idea. Yeah, people like the promo. It's a much much cheaper alternative than the foil. The foil is actually the one that has suffered the most um or the set the set foil specifically but again like we were talking a few months ago before they had announced there there was a point where i had picked fatal push as pick of the week because it was one of those cards where it was just so ubiquitous it's basically like the modern day path exile um and then shortly afterwards they announced the promo and then fatal push kind of tanked and now the aether revolt is very very far removed from being opened fatal push is just slowly creeping up in price and until it sees a reprint, like in a year or two, in some modern masters type set, I just I just foresee this basically being like a ten dollar card for a very long time. Well, we just repriced it, so thanks, <laughs> Chaz. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Tarkin. Uh, can I have two? Is that cool? Or no? Yeah, that's fine. We weren't going right. to necessarily push you out of the way. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a because I have a reserve list foil because you know that's just what I do, and then I have a non reserve list card. So my reserve list foil is uh, donate. That one has uh, yet to it seems to have yet to have been hit hard. Me saying that means I don't know maybe it's going to get hard after the people's this cast, but uh, I like foil donates. And for uh, non reserve list, uh, there's a casual card from I think M11 and M12. It's a mythic called Time Reversal. Um, it's pretty fun. It kind of does what Time Spiral does. Uh, I like that foil as well. I think the foil is only like six to eight bucks. Um, I think that could end up being a fifteen to twenty dollar foil down the road. So those are my two picks. Yeah, we people really like that artwork with like him standing on the planets or something. Like we yeah, have people exactly. who specifically collect that art, so they buy them for just the art, and like they have a binder page of them. Yeah, and it, it seems a little low right now for the foil. Uh, actually, the non—I mean, the non-foil is like almost bulk. So, yeah, both those. All right, Chaz, you are back on the spot. You think you can answer with your pick of the week in a split second? Um, yeah, it's probably still going to be Legion's Landing, but I wanted to switch it to uh, Mayor of Averbrook foil. Humans. Mostly because, yeah. Uh, yeah, the humans list. Um, Mantis Rider foils are actually pretty pretty sweet, too, although there's a ton of them because it's, it's from cons. But uh, Mayor of Averbrook foils, uh, pack foils, uh, seem pretty sweet. I, I don't think there's, like, there's like barely a multiplier on them. That's because there's a promo that everyone has. Oh, sucks. <laughs> I mean, that art is, is in the eye of its beholder. I mean, if people want to foil one, I don't know how much they're going to pay for slightly different art. Anyway, my pick of the week is like basically a bulk rare. Um, 
my pick this week is Takatli Honor Guard. Uh, if the energy deck continues to be good, especially after the set is done and the Partour comes and goes, this is the kind of card that can really uh, put a wrench in its plans. It's a creature, which is a little bit better than Solemnity, so you can attack and block and it's not dead in all your matchups. But this is the kind of like hate bear card that if there's enough of these types of effects and there's enough uh, desire for them, they could get very expensive. Uh, right now, they're available on TCG Player for $0.40. Cents. So if you play Standard and you like to play with white creatures, uh, I would probably buy a playset now before they get um, popular and could get expensive, as we've seen in this set already. It doesn't really matter how good cards are. Um, they can get very expensive because there's no masterpieces in this set. So while it probably won't be a $20 card like Hostage Taker was, um, it'll still be quite good, especially if Hostage Taker is good, actually, because it stops Hostage Taker as well. Nice. Um, there are a couple things I wanted to go with, but there's something that we're starting to sell a lot of now that it's rotated out and it's a lot cheaper. Uh, this is for primarily EDH for both cats and slivers and elves. Uh, we cannot keep Cryptolith right in stock. This is a card that proved itself in competitive uh, magic. Um, and I think this is a, going to be a breakout EDH star that people play more and more of. It really helps fix your mana base, especially in slivers. Um, and it's just something that a lot of players have been requesting locally. Obviously, that's anecdotal evidence, so I'll hit you guys with a backup. I'm really liking uh, Door of Destinies as well. Uh, this card was recently reprinted, and it continues to uh, trend up a little bit. That's something I'm keeping my eye on, because I think this is just a card that will continue to go up, just like a Chroma's uh, Memorial. So that's just something, because I'm so into the casual... Sales, that's just something I want to keep an eye on lately. So, yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about this week? Or do you want to move into where we can all be found? Into where we can be found it is. Ed, if people want to contact you about your international vacationing or your awesome in-shop uh, slave labor of working a million hours a week. Where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter at Edwin 13. Uh, I've been trying to keep up on uh, gathering magic. I didn't realize that last week's show had like a million questions. I haven't gone to. Uh, so I will continue to try and answer them to the best of my ability. Usually from airport lounges uh, for our viewers out there. I will be at Grand Prix Hong Kong this weekend. If anyone wants to say hi, I uh, have not gotten a viewer from Asia yet, so that's kind of uh, on my bucket list. He's just trying to get someone to say hi. You're the worst. Uh, and then next weekend, uh, I will be running the Kerwins Regional in Syracuse, New York. So come and uh, say hi to me at the event as well. Chaz? Yeah, uh, Twitter is probably the best place to find me at ChazVMTG. Um, if you're an insider quiet speculation, then it's much easier to find me on the insider Discord. Uh, but um, if you want to hear me twice a week, I'm on the QS cast and the MTG Goldfish cast. Like uh, Jeremy said, I try to just plant myself on every single podcast uh, at this point because apparently Reddit says we're all on the on the same podcast. So happen for him. You know. we will spoil this all now that there's only 10 rotating finance podcast members, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are the best places to find me. Tarkin? Yeah, I'm uh, at the underscore Tark, T-A-R-K, on Twitter. Uh, you can always find me at the QS Insider Discord. Our Discord channel is great. Um, and uh, I also do uh, some admin work over at the MTG Finance Central Facebook page, so you can uh, chat with me there anytime. Jim? My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Uh, I realize you might not have said, but uh, Michael, who's this guy, the one today? 
Man, there's so many comments. You guys are talking too much in the chat. Keep Michael Perry. spamming comments. We really appreciate watching Ed's fingers fall off. Uh, Michael Perry, you got you won this week's um, Cool Stuff Inc. store credit, so please make sure you send me a message on uh, Twitter or on the Cartel Aristocrats Twitter or Facebook, and I will get you your gift card. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me stranded in airports every time I go to Pittsburgh. My Twitter handle is at MissouriMTG. Uh, I'm generally in the great state of Missouri. And we would like to thank you guys for tuning in and listening to our beloved guests and bearing with us for my rant on people opening game shops. You can follow us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can follow us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance. You can download our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, GatheringMagic.com, or YouTube for free. We will see you guys next week. Have a good one.